2: Good morning. Welcome to score values on 670 to score. I'm Adam Staczynski coming up on this week's show. We talk with a local group which helps parents learn the dangers associated with social media platforms so they can better protect their children from predators. Plus a further discussion on women working in the sports industry. The Me Too movement gained momentum in recent years and, among other victories, has been making significant strides in protecting women from harassment in the workplace. The pervasive circulation of inappropriate materials targeted towards children continues to increase on well known platforms such as YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, and also some various gaming platforms. That's where we bring in Tanya Haig. She's founder and CEO of the Kids Too movement. Kids 2 is an effort to help parents understand some of the dangers of social media and predators which prowl there. Tanya, thanks so much for the time today. I first want to ask you about your background and what led you to start the Kids 2 movement.
3: Yes, hi. Thanks so much for having me. So my background, gosh, is definitely uh, more business-driven, I would say. I've been in the marketing field for over 20 years. I called McDonald's Corporation, my work home for a decade. And from there, I've launched businesses. I'm a full-blown entrepreneur. I've also been uh, always very aligned with supporting causes since I can remember. I've been very involved from a civic perspective. Uh, So since my journey of my corporate chapter and moving into entrepreneurship land, it's given me a lot of uh, latitude to make even larger contributions uh, to my community, one is here in my, in my hometown of Oak Park, and I've done so much more beyond what we're talking about today. But let's just say, one learning uh, with you know, learning opportunity on the journey has always led to something else that's been unexpected, but always so much greater and so much more meaningful to me. So that's a little bit about my background, and what drove me to start the Kids to movement was. Um, it's from the the work that I do leading a nonprofit organization called Parents Against Child Sex Abuse, or PACSA for short, kind of a mouthful. Uh, we're in the fifth year of that organization clearly tackling uh, one of the hardest topics out there, and really in the spirit of galvanizing parents to know what to do when it comes to that. Uh, so, in our involvement in the child protection space, we've been working alongside other organizations to raise awareness about the dangers of social media for children. A lot of folks don't know out there that social media, um, especially through the work through through COVID and the pandemic, has really blown the doors open to bring more visibility to. Others out there exploiting children through social media are using it ways to reach children in a way that's not cool. And uh, so given that I'm a parent myself and being part of these larger child protection conversations, we wanted a hashtag that was going to really open up the eyes of all parents and, and people who care about the well-being of children. So we kind of built off this hashtag me too movement and we're calling it hashtag kids too. And that's. Taken a little life of its own and, and brought us this amazing opportunity to now have a broader nonprofit umbrella name called Kids Too, while Paxa is still part of that. Well,
2: wow, that's great, and and this is some, something that I I, I I can I can see where the need for this kind of organization came from because I mean I think back to when I was growing up and the internet was really starting to take off and. There was a real lack of oversight in some of the things that me and my friends were able to get into that our parents just didn't really understand. And, okay. and so I, I, it seems as if, it, you know, it, I I'm, I'm guess I'm glad to see that there's something like this out there. Because I think about the things that I got into and, you know, it was nothing super crazy. But some of the things that me and my friends were able to get into that I think like, man, I would never let my 10-year-old get into that kind of thing now.
3: Yes, absolutely. And my 10-year-old comes to me on a daily basis reporting to me what's happening at school. What are they seeing on TikTok? How are they able to do a workaround on their Google, you know, the Google Classroom and the apps that they have available just to learn and how they, they find ways to work around or Google or get to YouTube. And YouTube has just been this place if everyone remembers how youtube started and why youtube is youtube it's consumer generated content right so it's youtube you're the one uploading people are uploading and now it's become this behemoth money-making machine through ads and ad spend and these platforms really uh, monetizing it but it's a lot of um, unfiltered information, no matter how much these platforms are doing. And you're right, when we were growing up, uh, I don't want to date myself too much. I mean, I had to just try to listen to music where maybe there were some lyrics that were inappropriate and maybe my mom's from a different country. I would confuse her a little bit about what they were saying. Oh, totally. (laughs) I convinced her that it's just the beat. I really didn't care about the lyrics and that was musically driven. But now there's just stuff coming out of, technology poor that our children have access to because they got iPads at school and whether you're an ethnic parent like my parents were from a, you know different countries or just a busy mom of four how on earth is a parent supposed to keep up with all these platforms and knowing all these traps and these ins and outs but most of the time parents aren't as well-versed on these platforms. I have a marketing and digital background. So my daughter's growing up knowing that a mom is really savvy with using the tools. I was an early adopter and I had to, it was part of my career journey and working for a large global brand and now working with other brands. Uh, you have to stay on top of the platforms, but yeah, there, there aren't a lot of, um, Safety measures right now, and we're working a little bit on policy at the federal level with other organizations. Not to get too political on you, but bottom line is, you know, these platforms have been around for two decades. They they cannot have enough content moderators. For those of you who know about social media and how it works behind the scenes, they have folks, you know, at their computers monitoring content. If you're reporting something inappropriate, there's just there's never going to be enough manpower. Adam to to get into the weeds of all of this. So what we're really trying to do is, hey parents, you know, while some of these platforms saying, oh, parents have a choice and we monitor, we decide what's best for our kids, Mm -hmm. we're also just trying to get parents to pay attention with really, really basic things that we can get into and just be more in the know about, has some pretty creepy people out there posing out there as children to just connect with our kids and be friendly. And next thing you know, they're exchanging some terrible images and then it's stuck on the internet forever you
2: know uh, oh yeah it's it's the, the dangers out there are just it's 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 really insane so uh, uh, we're speaking with Tanya Haig, she's CEO and founder of Kids2 here on Score Values on 670 the score Tanya what type of resources does Kids2 make available to parents who are looking to better protect their kids online
3: Yes, so we created a resource that's for free. A parent can go to kids2.org, K-I-D-S-T-O-O.org, to sign up for an email to request the free resource, and we put together this thorough, what we're calling watch-out list for parents that's not just social media handles like TikTok, but some of the other ones like Omegle, WhatsApp, like through the different um, ways that... Predators can reach our kids. Roblox, oh, my goodness. Roblox is just another one that sounds all fun and games, but unless you shut down that chat feature, that is a a key way that random people, your kid and you do not know, are getting to our kids. They're just trying to keep it friendly, keep it easy. Next thing you know, they're asking, where do you live? I mean, they don't waste any time to work through those questions to get to a kid. You know, so that's how a parent can get there. Now, we're going to continue to develop more resources. And the reason kids choose a little bit more broader than the other organization, PAXA, is um, we're going to continue to stay nimble, Adam. And we want to address Mm -hmm. parent needs, child safety concerns as they come. Um, But we are really here to tell parents. I'm here to tell parents, like, hey, you have a voice and our children need you.
2: So, Tanya, I'm curious about, you know, as you're providing education to these parents on these various things about, uh, you know, providing them, I guess, just education on various terms that kids might be using even in chats or that people might be using towards children in their chats. Because I think back, you know, again, to when to when I was growing up and we had, you know, just little things like L.O.L., You know, acronyms that stand for things, but there were also ones I knew about that, hey, it's an acronym for a parent standing over my shoulder. So just stuff like that. So I'm curious if there's any kind of education towards, you know, little things like that.
3: Oh, yes. Thanks for bringing that up. So we do have a video that we produce called Drop the Emojis. Um, you know, the dangers of social media are real for children, Mm -hmm. where we have in that video um, some emojis that um, sex traffickers use to communicate to one another through social media handles. So what's happening right now, Adam, not to get too dark or too intense, but Mm -hmm. what I want to let everybody know, including you, is that a lot of folks are posting pictures of their kids or they're giving kids the opportunity to post everything about themselves or Mm -hmm. overshare a lot of images and these folks out there who don't have the best intentions communicate to each other like stringing together different emojis um that have different connotations or the different fruits or vegetables denote body parts like there's there's a lot out there that um that's You know, I love emojis. I'm emoji queen. And so I was (laughs) heartbroken when I was like, what? They're being used by, you know, sex traffickers and these terrible people. But, you know, just to kind of have parents have their eyes open around, you know, some of these cues. And, um, you know, but I love your suggestion on some of these acronyms. I think they, they continue to evolve so quickly. So parents like us just are kind of out of, you know. (laughs) <laughs> out of
2: the loop uh, yes yeah of course and, and it, it, it they it just keeps changing unfortunately so it just keeps changing so if if let's say you know a parent wants to approach their their child about internet safety and i think about you know my sister has three young children so you know how like how do you begin that conversation about you know telling them how to be safe when they're using these games online
3: Okay, great question. So one of the first things that we start out with parents uh, when we're talking about approaching tough topics or tricky topics like this one is depending on the age, because obviously the span of ages is huge, whether it's a seven-year-old or a tween or a teen, you have to meet them where they are. And also we always recommend just being um, very calm and friendly in the approach versus militant and yanking the iPad, um, limiting and blocking because it's been it's part of their daily lives now, you know, the iPhone, connecting with their friends. It's their hub of communication uh, with their friends. When I was growing up, it was that long cord in the kitchen where I was, you know, trying to not have my parents listen to what I was saying. Now it's all through Zooming apps and then for, for them to correspond. So I think it's our duty as parents, you know, we, we drive the conversation. We, if we show our kids that we're confident about the topic that we're bringing forward, we're the ones in charge. So we always like to empower parents. And as you can tell, I'm a pretty passionate individual. Like We as parents own that responsibility and just approaching your kid about, Hey, you know, there are some real creeps out there that are trying to get to kids. And if you see, you know, You know, if someone's asking you for your name, you know, don't give your name. out, don't give your address. If someone flashes a picture of you that scares you, it's inappropriate. You didn't do it. Show mom and dad. So the minute we can help kids frame, like, here's what you might see, and then come show mom and dad, that way the kid knows they're not the guilty ones. They didn't do anything bad. They just happen to be the recipient of some terrible photo, you know, so it's if someone's asked, like kind of lay it out for them. If someone asks you to take a picture of yourself or your body, part, whatever it is, come tell mom and dad, and then that's what we can respond. So really, it has to do with meeting the kids where they are. And then there are also a lot of tools out there for parents to monitor. So if uh, there's uh, a, a software called Bark, where they can help monitor and filter uh, some of those social media plugins. There's definitely some resources. One that we love to just monitor and limit screen time is this big box that you lock and you put a timer on it. So, you know, just like there are these little hacks as parents that we can do to just try to keep our kids safe and then always keep that conversation going. My kids bring me stuff all the time. Even Pinterest has... creeps so we're like there's another one thanks for telling me yeah that's it's unfortunate it's just they
2: (laughs) they it's just seems to pop up everywhere so you know everywhere yeah and and you're you you kind of touched on there you know maybe setting limits for online use so that it seems like that can be another tool you know just setting limits for the amount of time that your children are spending online
3: absolutely setting limits is everything okay so from this box that i told you about that locks it up because these kids can't help themselves if you think about us and our usage of our phones and our technology these kids get so hooked because these games they just want to keep you in the game keep putting more money you don't want to start over with the game so there are all these like tricky manipulations that as adults we'll be like okay that's enough okay <laughs> really go eat dinner but kids get so hooked and engaged and then it's It ropes in their friends, so there's like a friend element to all of this that just keeps them connected. So the limits, we've had to do this as parents ourselves. I promise, I am practicing what we preach at home. And we are, um, the limits, no technology in the room at nighttime. So if that needs to be in a lockbox, it's just nothing stays in the room. Even if it's used as an alarm clock, don't do that. Just take the iPhone, take the iPad, put it in the box out of the kids' room at nighttime, um, and then sometimes what we'll do is so we know what our kid is watching, we'll have her um, project whatever YouTube TV show she's watching onto our TV, kind of like old school, like let's all watch TV in the living room, but it's through the iPad on YouTube, and we're watching, and everyone feels good about it, so we've got, yeah, these different hacks, limit the time frame, it definitely helps um, keep our kids health and safe.
2: We're speaking with Tanya Haig. She's CEO and founder of Kids 2. Tanya, I want to make sure to ask you what is the best way for parents or really anyone that wants to get involved to get involved with Kids 2?
3: Great. Thank you. We are really looking to hear from you all. Parents. We want to hear from you whether you want to support our organization um, through a donation Um, if you want to join us on the cause please we welcome you contacting us through the website Uh, we have social media channels across the board if you have an idea Um, We really look at our parent community that we want to grow and build over time as our eyes and ears of what's happening in their respective communities. So we just heard from a parent group in Ohio. They're really concerned about an issue. Uh, we collaborate from a grassroots level to empower parents and give them the tools and resources because Kids Too is just one of many organizations that have really devoted their time and energy to protect children. But our particular focus is really elevating parents to recognize you don't have to numb out. You don't only only have to rely on what the school district is telling you. There's a lot of information for you to do. be more of a parent ninja. And also next month is Child Abuse Prevention Month, which is April every year. And uh, for folks to stay in touch with us, sign up on our email newsletters, et cetera. We have a lot of great activity coming next month.
2: I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned a, a group you were trying to work with in Ohio there. So how wide reaching has Kids 2 been? You know, I know that you're from the Chicago Chicagoland area, but how, how far have you seen this reach as far as parents getting involved with Kids 2?
3: Right. So, yes, we are Chicagoland-based, but our platform is very digitally focused for a reason because we know we've learned in the five years of doing our work around parents and and child protection that parents – want to reach us at their convenience. They might be tired. They might be Googling a concern. Uh, so we hear from parents around the country. I just referenced Ohio. We had um, this concerned grandma contact us from Idaho. So we've really um, really been trying to con- build our digital reach and amplification to connect with parents. Uh, so we've, we've dabbled in in-person, et cetera. So uh, we would consider ourselves definitely uh, reaching parents from a national perspective as well.
2: And, you know, of course, since you are try- trying to really be digital here, and I I, I want to make sure that you plug any, like, social media platforms that Kids2 has. You know, of course, the hashtag Kids2, but it, do you have any, like, Twitter handles or Facebook groups or anything like that?
3: Absolutely. So you can find most of our handles, because sometimes, you know, they vary. Um, it's K-I-D-S-T-O-O-M-V-M-T, which represents kids to movement. Mm-hmm. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. So those are our core right now. We've got plans to expand into some of the other fun ones so we can be in the game, so to speak, like TikTok. <laughs> but basically, yes, um, find your channel of choice and most likely we are on it.
2: Great. So, Tanya. That's pretty much all I have for you. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I didn't touch on?
3: No, I just want to say, hey, parents, you know, we've got your back and we also want to hear from you and that you have the power to protect children and things for your time.
2: That's Tanya Haig, CEO and founder of Kids 2. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm your host, Adam Staczynski. Now we further a conversation we began last week. March is Women's History Month, and more and more women are working in the sports industry. Megan Montemaro covers the Cubs for the Chicago Tribune. She spoke with myself and Steve Rosenblum about some of the other women she's found herself around in her job. Megan, I I, I did want to ask you... While we have you, since this is still Women's History Month, I was listening. What well, we had, I should say, Maddie Lee of the Sun Times on Inside the Clubhouse last week, and she mentioned how she'd never really been on a beat with another woman before, like like yourself. So I was wondering about like what that experience is like for you, and and how how that how being a woman covering sports like this has evolved over the years.
4: Yeah, I mean before. Joining the Tribune last year, I'd covered the Phillies for seven years for um, two different publications, and there had never been a woman on the beat in my seven years. Um, so it's 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 really nice. It, I think having women on the beat kind of brings a different vibe and perspective, which I think is always good, not only just amongst like other reporters, but I think for for readers and fans of the team um, that you're covering to get those kind of different perspectives. Um, and that's why I think you know diversity, uh, you know, extends to diversity of thought, and there's just different ways to look at things. And so it's been really nice being with the, another woman on the beat. Um, I think it's cool that you know both of us are covering the team for the two major papers in the city. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely take that responsibility. I think both of us do um, seriously, not only just as professional journalists, but um, when you are in a, in a role that is not occupied that often by, by women. Um, yeah. It's really important to, to even uh, to take it seriously and, and um, take advantage of the opportunity. So yeah, no, it's, it's been really cool um, the, the Cubs also um, hired in the off season, a woman for one of their PR um, openings. And so, so there's quite a few women now around the team and, and I, I think that's great.
2: Uh, one, one follow-up to that as well. And really appreciate your time here, Megan. I I wanted to ask you about Rachel Folden, who is a lab tech mm-hmm. hitting coach for the Cubs Arizona complex down there. Uh, what have you seen from her and the job that, that she's doing down there? And, Cause we've seen more and more now the last few, few years, women getting these coaching jobs, not just in baseball, but throughout sports.
4: Yeah. I mean, we were on the backfields every day, you know, before um, the lockout ended. And so, just watching her work with the young hitters, working guy, working with guys like Christian Hernandez and Pete Crow Armstrong, and throwing BP and and feeding the um, the machine, and you know, challenging them um, has been really cool. And, and they've all spoken very very highly of her um, and how how well they help, uh, how well she helps them prepare for the season and and just make them better players. Um, so I think it's really important um when you have someone like Rachel in those roles and those on-field roles where you know they're working with players and and helping them improve is is always great and um yeah I've I've only heard people um that I've talked to speak highly of her.
0: Megan before we let you go I need you to say hi to my former editorial queen Amanda Kashubi as long as we're talking about (laughs) Women in, play, in positions of power. I adore her. I thought she was terrific to work for. And I'll share this with you on the, the week, the month of the, the week of International Women's Day and International Women's Month. This comes from Cher. Talk about a queen, right? <laughs> Quote, my mom said to me, you know, sweetheart, one day you should settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, mom, I am a rich man. You go, girl! Let's. i always it. loved that one. Yes.
2: Let's <laughs> Megan Montemero of the Chicago Tribune speaking with myself and Steve Rosenblum. I'm Adam Stasinski. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. Finally, Maddie Lee of the Chicago Sun Times also spoke about Women's History Month with Bruce Levine and David Haw.
5: Maddie, talk about the, that uh, the, the new job and uh, and you know now that you're a veteran Chicago reporter, having worked for NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, your your goal and your some of your perspectives uh, covering the Cubs uh, for a different entity.
6: Yeah, it's been an awesome transition. I'm so grateful to NBC Sports Chicago for getting me back to Chicago. I went to grad school in the city uh, and you know fell in love with it, but then had to leave to start my career. So it was amazing getting back and getting back to baseball because I had bounced around in a few different, excuse me, a few different leagues. I was covering the NBA right before this, which was amazing. Uh, But baseball always has been my first love. You know, I played division three softball. Like it's it's been such a big part of my life from a very young age. So it's really nice to be able to take that next step. And the Sun-Times has been wonderful uh, getting to write for that you know, thick sports Saturday has been really fun. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just soaking, not to sound like an athlete leaning in the cliches, but I'm just really enjoying this step right now. And it's been a wonderful transition. I've worked with so many great people throughout Chicago and, and on the Cubs beat. And I'm just ready and excited to eventually cover a season.
5: Maddie, uh, as David said, this is women's history month and you know, it's a perfect segue talking about Rachel Folden, uh, the, uh, coach for the Chicago, uh, Cubs right now. Um, your perspective of her on the job, I've, uh, mine, I'll, I'll give you mine first. Uh, I I've been totally impressed by the fact that, um, I've just watched her, uh, go about her business and, uh, and and gender was gone immediately as I watched her communicate with players and go about throwing fastballs and change-ups and sliders during the batting practice. I'd like your perspective on that.
4: Yeah, Rachel's
6: great. She's, you know, as as you guys know, a minor league hitting coach, lead lab tech for the Cubs. And I mean, she's she had a phenomenal playing career herself and has come in and just really – right in easily Um, and I think the moment that kind of stands out is she she throws batting practice all the time and maybe a few years ago that would be a massive thing right you have national media coming down um, and the great thing the thing that really makes me happy and points to progress is that when Rachel throws batting practice it's not a big deal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 'cause it's just her doing her job and other women have come before her and thrown batting practice and we're getting to the place where women in baseball isn't as much of a of a headline, right? Because we're we're making inroads, we're making it more normal. And that's the goal, right, is to one day both on the field in the press box normalize that. And I guess while we're talking about women in baseball, shout out to Megan Montemuro of the Tribune, who has done an incredible job out there. And it's, you know, both of us were saying this is the first time that we've been on a traveling beat with another woman. So really exciting stuff. Um, And yeah, it's fun to highlight for Women's History
2: Month. That's Maddie Lee of the Chicago Sun-Times talking with David Haw and Bruce Levine on Inside the Clubhouse. That's it for this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Stasinski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score.